Seriously. I'm hopeless when it comes to all things domestic, and I can't cook worth a damn. The only thing I'm allowed to do on Thanksgiving morning is turn on the oven for the turkey, because I burn everything. If Mr. Duane on the phone, you crazy going outside in your nightdress? That wind blowing pneumonia germs all the way from Canada, Murdestine scolds. And what you doing down by them rose bushes? They need mulch, I improvise. It's not quite a lie, and probably as harmless as burying the pregnancy tests instead of just dropping them into the wastebasket. But as months have turned into years without the hope of a child, the regular bad news has become an intensely private hell. I mean to keep it that way because here in Jackson, Mississippi, all my acquaintances know they're entitled to a fresh misery report at least once a week. I swear it's nobody's business but my own, and I don't want anyone to know. Not do, please God, and not my so-called friends. Those relationships are about as deep as saran wrap. Murdestine especially can't know. She works for my mother on the days she doesn't come to our house, and my mother's the last person on earth I want to find out that I hadn't quit trying. Not until today. Taking the cordless phone from Murdestine's damp brown hand, smelling of bleach, I'm still shivering. She pours me a cup of coffee. Drink this and warm your cold self up, she says. Mulch my foot. Thanks, I say, feeling obscurely guilty about the almost lie. I'll go upstairs with this. I take the back staircase up to my bedroom, dusty white silk trailing behind me. Hey! I chirp into the phone, trying to sound upbeat. Dew's little woman needs to be as cheerful as a thousand acres of Kansas sunflowers. It's part of the deal. Morning, sugar pie, my husband answers. How's my gal? At least, I'm pretty sure that's what he says. On the phone, Dew usually sounds like he's talking around a mouthful of butter beans. In 1975, when he was pursuing me around the Ole Miss campus with the nigh-insane persistence of a rabbit-bound beagle, I hadn't given it much thought. It seemed everyone talked like that back then, a sort of good old boy camouflage. But now it's 1990, Dew's older, and the drawl's gotten so much worse, it's like trying to simultaneously translate when I can't read his lips. Good! Not good, actually, but I'm not going to admit anything else this morning. I was just outside. The roses need mulching, I add before he can ask why. Aw, hon, we got a man for that, he says. I hear the snap of his Dunhill lighter. Dew's just lit his second cigar of the day. I know, but... Glad you take such a interest in them things, but baby, it's damn cold outside. Dew chuckles. He puffs a long, satisfied-sounding stream of expensive smoke and commences to remind me about the law firm's partner's dinner tonight at the Petroleum Club. Putting the coffee on the bedside table untasted, I climb up onto our king-sized four-poster back into bed. While he stresses again what an important night this is for him, I slowly drag the goose down duvet to myself and wrap it around my shoulders. I'm not looking forward to the partner's dinner. You need to look good, darling. Remember?
Judge Shapley's gonna be there. Dew's voice is lugging around a big briefcase stuffed with anxiety. Judge Otto Shapley is the undisputed word of God around the law offices that have sprung up like mushrooms in a cow pasture around here in Jackson. And so Dwayne Sizemore's wife must be above reproach or even lifted eyebrows. Poor Dew. Heaven knows I haven't been much of a success in this rendering unto Caesar department, although I never quit trying. Dew's still rambling on about the judge and tonight. Half listening, with a loathing-filled glance at the open door of my room-sized walk-in closet, I know in my bones that despite the armloads of designer ready-to-wear, the racks of shoes and boots, the unbelievable accumulation of crap that lives inside that treacherous space, I won't be able to find a single drop.